following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. I met an entrepreneur, and he said, hey, there's this amazing ski resort in northern Utah by Salt Lake City. This mountain's undiscovered. Um, it is pure magic. And there's an opportunity to buy this mountain. We could partner. You know, I could help, you know, raise the money, structure it, and set it up. And you guys could, you know, focus on the community. And he said, you know, we could really build a physical town like Park City or Aspen or Jackson Hole or Lake Tahoe. And, you know, we said yes immediately. Hey, everybody. Can you do us a favor and fill out a survey on podcast1.com? You'll find the banner on the homepage. It takes less than five minutes, and it really helps us out. That's podcast1.com. Thanks so much. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, we do in-depth interviews with some of today's most significant business leaders. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Elliot Biznow, the founder of Summit, which is the, one of the preeminent American, I guess you call it tech artist communities, and also the owner of the largest ski resort in America, Powder Mountain. And he did it all um, at the young age of, well, he was definitely under 30 when he did it. Uh, Elliot, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be on board. So Summit has evolved so much, I'm having trouble describing it. What is Summit these days? Because it started out as a, as a conference, and, but it's definitely well beyond that. For the past 10 years, we've built a community now of tens of thousands of people, and we're most well-known for hosting large-scale, surreal, epic learning festivals. So we got really well-known for actually putting on a conference on a ship, on a literally a big, big ship, and we uh, called Summit at Sea, which we hosted uh, three different times with thousands of people each year. And if you could imagine... Uh, you know, Burning Man and Woodstock and Coachella and TED Conference and kind of mashing up all those things where you have, you know, 50 musical acts and hundreds of speakers, but you also have, you know, activities like shark tagging and late night documentaries. You have, you know, discussions and breakout sessions on every imaginable topic, just literally building kind of this up close and personal interdisciplinary festival um, if you think about a festival, most of these festivals, 30,000 people, 50,000, 100,000. So we fit into a niche where it's like a mini festival, uh, you know, a couple thousand people and you're up close and personal with basically all your heroes and, you know, everyone coming um, is doing something interesting. That That's kind of our, our value is, you know, that you're doing good work in the world, that you're a passionate person and that you're a kind person. So we're most well known for putting on this big annual festival. Yeah, and I got, you know, I got to tell our listeners, Elliot and I go way back. Um, I was lucky enough to be one of the few, if not the only journalist on the first summit at sea and um, got to go on that famous shark tagging trip as well. Um, and, and I went on, you know, kind of as a cynical journalist, like what is this, you know, burning man on the water kind of feel? Um, and who are these crazy, I think you're about 25 at the time, you know, kids doing this. Um, and it was really, uh, you know, a special event and people, you met incredible people that you would never meet um, in kind of your normal day. And it was a really 
having everyone on the boat and kind of unconnected um, really helped people really connect and open up, I feel. So it, you guys, uh, it was quite an experience. I don't blame you for being cynical because like every startup, you know, starting, you know, a mini festival, it's, it's no different than, you know, starting any business, you know, except we're in the business of people and community and events and music. And uh, so, yeah, we hadn't, we had never done it before. You know, we, our first event was 19 people. I, my mom helped me organize it. I just <laughs> left college uh, at 21 years old and the next event was 60 and then uh, two, you know, then 120 people. And, you know, we, we started getting the hang of it, but it took years. You don't figure out how to, you know, become an event producer and to book music and talent and, you know, steward a community in a year. It, it takes years and years and years. So now it's been almost 10 years. And, um, yeah, we, th- those early events like Summit at Sea, you know, we had only our, our first, you know, half dozen events, they were on land, you know, we'd take over a hotel and it was, you know, it was kind of traditional, you know, yeah. middle, middle, you know, right up the, right up middle of the road. And, um, and we said, Hey, we want to do something really different. And I was about 25 years old and I had three, you know, I have three co-founders and we said, we want to do something radically different. And we just had this idea. We said, what if we charter an entire ocean liner? What if we take this thing over? I mean, who there's, we've never heard of, uh, you know, a conference on a ship. We could really morph into a festival. And so that was like our first big break is we did a 1500 person conference unconference on, on a ship. Uh, that left the port of Miami, went to this uninhabited island, um, and people were just blown away. Um, people, no one had seen anything quite like it. And you mentioned you were 25. So when you're 25 years old, most people are trying to cobble together a few friends to get a shore house maybe for a month. And you guys went out and got a 1,500-person boat and took, them to, took everyone to a remote island. Where did that idea come from, and how did it go from like, hey, we should do it on a boat, to like, we're going to do it on a boat? Well... I had met uh, three individuals who became my co-founders. I went to the University of Wisconsin, and I left when I was uh, right at the beginning of my junior year, actually, to start a different business. And one of my co-founders went to American University, and another went to George Washington University, and the fourth went to the Berkeley School of Music, and he'd actually left college early as well to be a musician. And, you know, we had... A couple of them knew each other from Boston and one from Washington, D.C. You know, we didn't, this is really funny, we didn't have any other options for co-founders. It's not like we did a really thoughtful, you know, multi-year plan of what our business was going to be. And let's really think about the perfect co-founders. I mean, we were the only four options available. They didn't have any other options. I didn't have any other options. And so we kind of found each other and we really built, you know, we really became like a unit, the, the, uh, the four of us. And... And uh, we actually rented a share house, you know, we're, you know, where we, you know, we would all, we lived together for, for years and we would save money, but also like it allowed us, you know, in your early twenties to collaborate, to have these late night brainstorming sessions, you know, it's kind of all work and fun and play at once. And, you know, we just got into, you know, we thought, Hey, you know, doing, I, I had started the first event, you know, for, for just for fun. You know, I think when I've read about like the startups I most admire, most of them, I don't, I don't think they start as a business. Again, these are at the pinnacle, but, you know, whether it's a Facebook or a Google, you know, it starts as just like a nice social network for your college or a really interesting search algorithm. Like no one really sets out, I think, much of the time to create a business. And that was exactly the case for us. Like we just wanted to have fun. We thought, wow, we could do this kind of young, hip, exciting, you know, music, entrepreneur, content, learning event. And we can meet our heroes. And, you know, we started really small. It's like, like I said, you know, 60 people and 120 and 250 people. And, you know, we started selling tickets and they were, and, uh, you know, as we started selling tickets, we said, Hey, this could, 
this could be a real business. Um, this could be a real thing. And so after we did our event for 250 people, we did an event for 750 people. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, at that event, you know, we, we had been cold calling. We were the cold call Kings, you know, that's <laughs> what we did. And we would, we would literally, you know, we would hit the phones and, you know, when you really wanted to go after your heroes, you'd, you'd start to get blocked. So you'd have to kind of do an end around and mm. you'd have to call people who'd come in the past and build credibility. So there wasn't, you know, a short road to the top. It was like you had to prove yourself at a small event, build real relationships. People say this is a great event. They make you interest for the next event, get a little bit higher level people. And then suddenly, you know, by the time we were in our mid 20s, we had, you know, we had Richard Branson attending and, uh, you know, Bill Clinton, and we, we were really starting to reach high. And uh, after our 750-person event, we said, hey, we got together. We said, we want to do something different because if mm -hmm. we keep going in the same kind of linear path, even though it's a cool business, you know, we're just going to be doing the same conference. We'll get lumped into something. We said, we just, we had this idea, and we, we, start, we called cruise companies. We got contracts, and the price to uh, the deposit was a million dollars, like a little bit more than a million dollars. Where did that, where'd you get that money from? I mean, we scrounged every single penny that we had in the company bank account that each of us had. I'm sure we had, you know, a, you know, a, you know, we had payables, but we said, Hey, we're going to take it every last penny we have from our little business and we're going to make a deposit. And we, 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 I remember us all joking, we're going cruising one way or another. We're going on a ship. It doesn't matter if nobody joins and, the cool thing about an event is there's a timeline. Yeah. You know, that event was, you know, you know, say it was April 5th, um, you know, 2010 or something like that. You, and, you know, you sign the contract in November. You say, all right, on April 5th, you know, the curtain's opening at 8 p.m. So you guys put, you just, yeah. So you guys put a million dollars down without any tickets sold. Not like you went and caught, started, like, pre-selling. You're like, okay, we're going to get the boat. And then you went on it and built in the audience. Correct. If we had, I think, you know, foresight and were more thoughtful about it and had experience, one, we probably wouldn't have done it because you would have thought this is just too crazy. And two, yeah, we hopefully, if we had done it, we would have done something a lot smarter. Maybe we would have soft circled 100 attendees mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe we would have had people put money that, you know, went into some sort of escrow, but we didn't. I mean, we, we just took all of our savings, all of our money. We just had this, this feeling. We said, you know what, we think... Because we, we felt like we were really in touch with our community and what they wanted. And, you know, we were talking to people and floating the idea. And we just said, you know, we think this is, this is so different. This is unique that if we offer this event, people will come. And so, yeah, we just, we literally hit it without any, you know, business plan, game plan, or idea if we could sell the tickets, just kind of believing that we could. By the way, you mentioned but, that you guys were the cold calling kings and hitting the phones and doing sales. What are like your cold calling tips? Or why don't you give me, I'm, I'm Bill Clinton now. Why don't you, how do you, how you cold call me? What's the, uh, what's the Elliot line on the, on the phone? Well, the first thing is when you get to a certain level, you, you can't cold call anymore. So you can only cold call kind of people at your peer level because they'll take your calls. And so when you suddenly want to reach up to the stars and really reach for, you know, science of business, or your heroes, um, you need to get an introduction. And so that's almost, you know, maybe you call that warm calling, but you need to somehow build a relationship with somebody who then makes you an introduction to that person. And then you have to have something of value because, you know, you know, I'd love to meet Bill Gates or, you know, or Warren Buffett, but even if I hypothetically met their friend and mm -hmm. I said, hey, can you make me a connection to Warren Buffett? You know, unless I have something they, that there is mutually beneficial, there's no way I'm going to 
you know, get to those people. So, you know, as, as people elevate, you know, I can't even imagine the tens of thousands of people are trying to contact, you know, a Warren Buffett or Mark Zuckerberg. So, you know, you also have to be realistic with, with your expectations. Um, you know, we had a funny story. Uh, we did an event, uh, again, back, you know, when I was around 25, uh, with President Clinton that was at Russell Simmons' home. And we had Tom Colicchio, this iconic chef, cooking. And we had gotten an introduction uh, to President Clinton's team, and he was very interested in meeting young people. And we said, you know, we said, we really want someone iconic, you know, to host this event. And we settled on Russell Simmons, and we had a friend, uh, you know, who kind of wasn't, you know, you know, said, you know, this could be a great person, uh -huh. you know, and I basically called Russell Simmons' office and, you know, I said, you know, I'm calling, you know, on behalf, you know, on behalf of President Clinton, we, you know, we have an event with him and we'd love for Russell Simmons, you know, to host this event. Saying you're calling from Bill Clinton kind of opened some doors, I imagine. Yeah, you know, we, we had an event for 750 people in Washington, D.C. in 2010 and we, you know, we were really struggling to sell tickets. This is a great insight. We, in fact, we couldn't sell any tickets. Like, I think we'd sold, you know, we were targeting 450 people. Mm -hmm. Our previous event had been 250. And we were stuck at like 100 or 200. And we were really running out of time. And we decided, you know what we need to do? If we could book President Clinton again, because we got him for this first event, if we could get him back to Washington, D.C., if there was any way, like if we could just make that happen, all the other pieces would fall in. And um, we, we were, you know, calling and intros and connections and, we got him to do the keynote at the event. And as soon as he confirmed, yeah. you know, as soon as he confirmed, you know, Sean Parker confirmed and Mark Cuban confirmed and, you know, astronauts from NASA confirmed and Ted Turner confirmed. Uh, and, it's, and literally it was like within a week of, of President Clinton, all these pieces fell into place. And so at that, the end, event ended up selling 750 tickets rather than 450. And so that's been like an interesting strategy. If you can sometimes get that luminary you know, that brand association, um, you can kind of do this end around. And just a quick break to say this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum card from American Express. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. You've evolved from a conference to a, a true community. As you get more mature and as you build out your brand more, do people, do attendees care as much about who's speaking or are they, are they going for the experience? Are they going for their peers, not for the people on stage? People care about everything and all different people care about different things. And so as we kind of fall into this multidisciplinary festival, it kind of be the opposite of if you went to like a very niche event, like say you're, you know, obsessed with uh, or really into, you know, uh, you know, a certain type of, of diet or a certain type of eating and you went to a conference just around that or, you know, you're into, you know, mathematics and you went to a conference around that. So we're the opposite. That, we're, sounds, that sounds scary. Whatever your interest is. So we're completely multidisciplinary. So what I'll hear is I'll hear people say, you know, I, I'm going just because of these three speakers. Like this year we have you know, Jeff Bezos and Malcolm Gladwell and Lena Dunham um, and, you know, all these superstars. And some people are coming for that. And other people are saying, hey, you know, I want to come to the event because I'm into these, you know, amazing five musicians or someone else is like, you know, I, I don't even go to that much content. I just know all my friends and all these amazing people from around the globe are coming in. 
and I just want to connect with people and meet new folks. And, you know, some people just say, hey, just being in that environment, I want to get that energy. So, again, it's similar to a music festival where there's all, there's this huge lineup, but everyone kind of finds their half a dozen favorite acts. And how do you build a voice and a brand of Summit? Like you just mentioned, you know, Lena Dunham, Jeff Bezos, and Malcolm Gladwell, like three very different people with different expertises and different fans, so to speak. How, like, unless Amazon, which is, you know, involved in everything in the world now, but how do you kind of build, like, a Summit brand when you have such a diverse group of speakers and across so many topics? And it's a mix of, you have, like, a hardcore tech person, and you have a hardcore artist, and then a musician, then a, a chef. Like, how does that work? Well, we've focused our brand on finding people who are on the cutting edge of just a multitude of areas. So it's art, it's music, it's technology, uh, it's wellness, it's culinary, uh, it's, you know, film and TV. And so that's been our focus, you know, and I think by focusing on uh, such a wide array, it's made us different. You know, I think we made a decision a long time ago, you know, we can't try to out Burning Man, Burning Man, or you can't try to you know, out Ted, Ted. I mean, you know, Ted is, <laughs> what they have, it's it's unique and it's better than basically anything else. Mm-hmm. I can't outdo, uh, you know, an in-depth interview that, you know, you're doing at Forbes or a Forbes article. I can't go as wild as, again, Burning Man. Like, I can't have this, you know, the most famous music acts in the world like Coachella. And so you kind of find your niche. And our niche is like, what's next? Um you know, who's on the cutting edge. And we will have extremely well-known people. It's also really diverse. Half of our speakers are women, half the speakers are men. Um, it's et- ethnically diverse, socioeconomically diverse, uh, diverse from a standpoint of where they're coming from. And so, you know, as we plan this event, it really is, you know, Lena Dunham and Shona, Shonda Rhimes. It's Christina Figueres who put together the Paris Climate Agreement. It's Marie Kondo from the magic, uh, life-changing magic of tidying up and the chef Alice Waters and, you know, Wim Hof, the Iceman and, you know, Jessica Alba and Tim Ferriss and, you know, musicians like Questlove. And we've just kind of gone all over the board. We have, you know, the governor of Colorado. And so it's, it's, it's unique and it's different. And we've, we've really, we've really just gone for it to say how expansive and how, how much can we push the boundaries uh, with the multidimensional aspect of the event. What's been like the biggest mistake you guys have made in, in creating these events? And, you know, you said, you know, you're dealing with thousands of attendees, a lot of, you know, A-list people, a lot of moving parts. Events are stressful. Communities are sloppy. What is, what was kind of the, the you know, hard learned lessons you guys have, uh, have taken, taken them with you? I would cut, if I could go back, you know, 20 or 30% of everything we've done. You know, you, 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 I think we've put out a lot more shots than we needed to, right? Like, we've taken more shots. If you equate it to a basketball game, you know, I'd rather take better shots, more thoughtful. And everything takes work. Everything is hard, you know. Every speaker, it's, you know, personal touch and helping them get there at the right time and, you know, you know creating the branding of the session and the session descriptions and, you know, just everything. And if it's bigger time or folks, you know, we had the last event, you know, we had, you know, Kendrick Lamar and, Herbie Hancock. I mean, when you have people like that, you know, it is just the level of logistics. And so looking back, uh, and I think I'd apply this to basically everything I've done in business. I would just, I would, I would make those hard decisions. Uh, it's like the Tim Ferriss 80, 20 rule. I don't know if that's his rule, but you know, you get 80%, uh, you know, of your revenue or success from kind of 20% of your clients Uh and you get 80% of your headaches from 20% of your clients. So I would, 
I would really go back and I would, I would remove kind of that bottom 20 or 30% of things. It could be, you know, a music act we thought would be, you know, fun if it was at a certain hour and it just turned out to be a headache. If you're cutting the guest list, I hope I stayed on it. I hope I, I, hope I still make it. <laughs> well, we've done a great job for the attendees for a long time. You know, we, I really believe in open communities and anyone who wants to be a part of something should be a part of something. I really believe in the idea of self-selecting. And so, you know, our events are by application and we send out inv- invitations, but we really do that, uh, you know, in order to get, the, the you know, uh, the types of people who are passionate and excited. So for me, whether someone's at the pinnacle of business or at the beginning of their startup or their journey as a musician or an artist, um, you know, we want the who's who of nice people and excited people and passionate people and, you know, people that are coming to the events for the right reasons. So I think for now many years, the community has been unbelievable. What, um, what was kind of the, your rock bottom moment? What was one of the scariest times um, when you were you know, by the throw of one of these giant festivals? Was there like a moment when you're like, hey, guys, I don't think this is going to happen or I think the wheels have fallen off? Um, we did an event in 2013 called Summit Outside. It was about 1,000 people. It was on Powder Mountain. Powder Mountain is a, is a ski resort uh, that our company acquired uh, a, few year, a few years back, um, and we're actually building a town on this mountain. Uh, it's a, a whole other story, but we did an event on the mountain outside, and we thought, hey, this is going to be a really good idea. We're going to do a 1,000-person glamping trip. You know, we're going to get these amazing safari tents, and we're going to um, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to do food on the mountain and amazing long table dinners. And I don't, you know, at that point we, you know, been, you know, we'd done a lot of events. We'd done the summit at sea, but we just didn't understand how difficult it was to build things from scratch. And, you know, people have told us it was ended up, it was the best summit event that they've attended, but the process to get there, um, was overwhelming. You know, the, the, just the process to build an event from scratch, I think, you know, also, at, when you're doing events, it's, it's like a product. You have to keep innovating. You can't do the same thing every year. You know, we've done events in Washington, D.C., Miami, and Aspen. We've done three summit at seas. We've done a summit outside. We did a summit base camp in Lake Tahoe. This year, we've moved our event to Los Angeles. Um, and we're in, all in downtown L.A. within a campus. And we're literally building kind of an urban pop-up campus. So oh. we've really made this effort, you know, to constantly change and innovate. I'd say... Interestingly, after events, you hit this high and then you kind of hit a low because the high is like the excitement and we did it. And then it's like, oh, no, Steve, we have to we have to do it again. Do it again yeah. We have to like we have to come. You know, I mean, it's like after they release, I don't know, maybe after they release an iPhone, it's like so much excitement. And all the sales are up, but all the designers know. All right. Get back to work because, you know, in X, you know, two years or 18 months or whatever it is. That new phone better come out, and the expectations are insanely high. What advice do you have for people that are working working very close with the team and on this deadline? How did you keep everyone? How did you kind of raise rise each other up and kind of keep everyone going? You need to have the right team. So I think you know, luckily we had the right team. We had the right culture. You know, when everyone feels like they're building something that's going to have a big impact, you know, and when you're proud of that product, and, and you know, I always tell people. A great company, every dollar the company makes means you're doing more good, right? So you know if our company makes more revenue, that means we're selling more magazines. That means we're doing more good because every person who has, who's, has a Forbes magazine 
you know, they're getting deeper knowledge and they're going to build a better business. So everyone who buys the New York Times is going to be I like, more informed. Thank you. For, you can stop at Forbes. I like that support. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, for everyone who buys it, but it's, it's really how I felt for a long time. Everyone who buys a ticket to Summit, if we make more revenue and we sell more tickets, yeah. we're going to be doing more good because every individual, we believe as a team, you know, every individual comes, they're going to leave inspired. They're going to leave with knowledge. They're going to leave with excitement. And so it, you're never perfect. And so when you get to that time when you're pinched and it's, hey, it's going to be months of grueling work, but you, you know that at the end of the day, there's that light at the end of the tunnel and there's that rainbow and you truly feel like your mission-oriented company. Um, I imagine, you know, the Tom Shoes and the, you know, the the Apple, like that the people working there, um, you know, at times have felt like that, right? Mm -hmm. They just know if we, it doesn't matter, it's okay to work hard because the work that we're doing is having such a big impact. And if you don't have that impact from your company and you're kind of selling something that really isn't providing value or, you know, isn't, you're maybe not proud of, it is really hard to work hard. And taking a quick break to say these days, business can be done from anywhere in the palm of your hand and out the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card backed by the service and security of American Express. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash my survey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash my survey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. You always hear about these stories. Like, you know, some of these great companies started because people wanted to find that niche and niche and find their passion, and then it just explodes, you know, because what they're doing has real meaning. Agreed. What I love about you guys is, I mean, what's really fascinating is, is you know, everyone thought you were crazy when you put down a million dollars and rented a cruise ship when you were 25. And then about three years later, you went even bigger and went from running a conference every year to you guys bought Powder Mountain in Utah with the ambition of building a year-round, basically a year-round, um, not tribe, but I guess a real community um, and transforming not just a, a camp or a ship, but an entire town. Um, I want to hear about this because it was this was fascinating to me. Well, I always heard these stories about Steve Jobs, and that, and I don't even know if this is accurate, but these are stories I heard that he always um, he never considered himself, you know, in the business of computers. He considered himself in the business of technology. And so, when they had an opportunity to do an iPhone, it was like a total no-brainer to him. Whereas other people thought that they were straying off the path. And I think, you know, on obviously in our little you know, on our little scale and what we're doing, we really felt like we were in the business of community. And, you know, having done events for five years, I think everyone thought these, this company's summit 
is an events company. And we thought, no, we're a community company. And it's a really important difference because I met an entrepreneur who had come to our events who told me, like we were just having a coffee and he told me about Powder Mountain. Like he, we were getting together and, you know, people will bring you opportunities or maybe something to invest. And he said, hey, there's this amazing ski resort in northern Utah by Salt Lake City. You know, Salt Lake City Airport's the West Coast hub of Delta. This mountain's undiscovered. Um, it is pure magic. And there's an opportunity to buy this mountain. We could partner. You know, he was a venture capitalist and financier. Mm -hmm. You know, I could help, you know, raise the money, structure it and set it up. And you guys could, you know, focus on the community. And he said, you know, we, you know, we could, we could really build a physical town like Park City or Aspen or Jackson Hole or Lake Tahoe. And, you know, we said yes immediately because in our mind we thought, hey, we're in the business of community. So whether our community gathers at events or whether our, whether our community gathers in a physical town, that's community. And gathering community is the same thing. So just like we became event producers, we thought, hey, we can become, you know, real estate developers with our twist, just like our event has a twist. And so we spent the last six years uh, first setting up to buy Powder Mountain, which we, you know, which took a couple years and we bought uh, almost four years ago. And then, um, you know, building five and a half miles of roads, water, sewer, power. Now we have, you know, almost 30 homes under construction on the mountain. Uh, we're managing the largest ski resort in North America. We have 300 people that work for the ski resort. We've done hundreds of events at Powder Mountain. And at the end of the day, though, we focus on our skill set, which is we are a community company. And now, so, yeah. Now, how does a community, like, how do three guys, four guys that started out, you know, with 19 people 10 years ago skiing for like a little summit and events, suddenly you're doing big real estate deals and you're doing sewers and you're doing roads and you're constructing houses and you're running a ski mountain? Like, how do you make that leap? Well, I think all the things that you described that seem so complicated are actually real estate 101 for someone who is an experienced real estate developer. And so for us, you know, we didn't have that capability, but we found a partner who did have that capability. He had real estate development experience. He had, you know, he was a financier for, you know, 10 years and, you know, partnering with someone suddenly something that seems radically um, out of your realm of possibilities or out of your grips. Like if you don't know anything about finance, it could seem, seem overwhelming, but if you find a co-founder, a partner, who is, you know, was the CFO of a big company, suddenly that's now a core competency. And so for us, it was about understanding what we're good at. And we're good at gathering people. We're good at, you know, figuring out what is the bleeding edge of programming and art and content and music. How can we put on, you know, a spectacular event, whether it's 50 people, 100 people, 500 or 1,000. You know, that's what we're great at. That's our core competency. And I think having the awareness to realize, hey, we don't know anything about real estate development, and we probably never will. Uh, you know, we're, you know, you know, we, we don't know how to interface, you know, with, um, you know, with the county. We don't know how to design roads, but hey, we can find a partner where that is their core competency. We can, you know, we can hire great people in real estate. We can hire someone who, you know, can run the ski resort. And so that's what we've done is is put those pieces in place. I went up there when there was. Nothing was built yet, and I and that was a couple of years ago. What is the current state of Powder Mountain? Um, and I know initially you guys want. I mean, I don't know if people know this, but you know, Aspen, Colorado, started out as almost kind of a utopian 
um, community back in the early 1900s, and you know it, it became this you know amazing posh uh, you know, uh, town up in, in Colorado. I mean, you're doing something similar. I mean, you don't want to say utopian, but you know the idea was to not just sell homes, but create a community and people with like-minded um, you know views and a lot of you know you're building a lot of culture in there as well. Programming and is that still going on? And what's kind of has the plan shifted at all? Yeah. So if you live you know, in a city and you look at all the neighborhoods, you know, there is, there are these unbelievable stories about how did Soho in New York come about, or how about Brooklyn, or, you know, how about Venice Beach in California, or what about, you know, the resurgence of Austin, Texas, or Boulder, Colorado, right? You know, the stories of Miami Beach, like, these places have stories about amazing individuals, or a group of individuals who created, or kind of led the charge into new neighborhoods. And so there's great precedent for building place, for building people. And that is certainly the story of Aspen, where it's an abandoned silver mining town with 800 people. And uh, Elizabeth and Walter Papke discovered it in you know the 1940s, and they brought the Aspen Institute and the Ideas Festival and bought up a third of the real estate. And so, you know, our vision with Powder Mountain, you know, was, hey, we can find this magical, it's a 10,000-acre mountain range, the largest skiable mountain in North America, it's been open for 45 years. Over 100,000 people ski at Powder Mountain every year. And this summer, it's magic. There's a lake in the valley below. We said, we can find this kind of undiscovered gem. And, you know, we can bring people and community and ideas and we can, you know, improvements. And, yeah, so we've built five and a half miles of roads, water, the sewer, the power. We're, we're about to complete our first cabin, but we have about 30 under construction. And in real estate, there's basically the vertical and there's the horizontal. So the horizontal is kind of basically the roads and below. And also everything you can't see, because you've got to put in roads and water and sewer and power. You need entitlements, which is how much you can build. You need zoning, which is what you can build. You know, you need, you know, water rights. So there's all this stuff that you can't really see, or it's kind of below your feet, right? Roads and below the horizontal. Mm-hmm. And that actually takes the longest amount of time. Um, and then once you have that, then it's go mode. And so... I kind of think of Powder Mountain as like us building the app store. So Powder Mountain now is this platform. You know, we can build a walking main street and a town and homes and, you know, make it a real innovation hub for music and art and culture. You know, what, what's the town that I wanted to live in that doesn't exist and we have a chance to build that? And I think of it as the app store because we've kind of built the app store. We've built that platform. And now on top of that, people can build homes. We can build restaurants. Um, we can build incubators. We can... You know, we can build venues for music and content. We've built 25 miles of mountain biking trails and hiking trails. So that's how we look at it is let's build this platform and then, you know, build a place. This is a public town. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying earlier, I'm really passionate about self-selecting communities. So there's a certain community of people that move to Brooklyn and a certain community of people that move to the Upper East Side or, again, who move to Boulder, Colorado or Miami. Why do those communities go to certain areas? And in every city for Every single city in the world, there's different pocket neighborhoods in each city. And what attracts those people? And it's, you know, retail or design or the right schools or family friendly. And so the best way to invite people somewhere or keep people in or out, it's not to build a fence. It's to build something self-selecting, right? It's not to build a checkpoint. It's you build something that self-selects the right people. And if there's, you know, yoga studios and juice spots and amazing music and cutting, you know, we have cutting-edge designs. We, we have no homes that are bigger than 4,500 mm-hmm. visible square feet. 
and the average home is, you know, a couple thousand square feet, that's going to self-select a certain type of person from around the world who says, hey, that's, that's something I want to be a part of. What does the powder town stand for? Who is, you know, what is, what, I mean, no, it, it's very broad, but what are kind of like a, a few characteristics or beliefs that would get, that you, that would get someone into, uh, into powder? Well, yeah, so it's an open, it'll be a public open town. And, you know, we want a town to represent the things that we've represented at the events that we've done. So it's kind of a living, breathing version of these three-day events. So if a three-day event would be a microcosm of the town. So that's, you know, what's the cutting edge of music? Um, great, thoughtful, soulful, exciting, uplifting music. Who are the best musicians and the best artists? You know, we, we have an artist residency program out there. And, you know, you know every month or bi-monthly, we've had different artists for years now creating cutting edge art. You know, you know what are the... Who are the best speakers? Um, what are the best companies? What, what, what's a place you'd want to raise your kids? Um, you know, the values around, you know, living this healthy life, engaged in nature, uh, you know, a life where you want to be excited about learning, you know, where you, where, you know, you come to a town and you say, hey, this is, this is the kind of place where it has, you know, the healthy food I want and it has, you know, designs of homes that feel connected to the land. So it, it's kind of our version of if we could be, live in any town we'd want, what would it look like? And how is the, I mean, you're very busy, obviously, building this, this, um, this town up. Um, also, you know, you're doing your big event in L.A., which is you know, crazy time-consuming as well. How are the two linked together? And why do, if you're focused on powder, why bother doing another big annual summit? Well, we are, you know, we, we are in business to serve uh, the Summit community, which anybody can be a part of. You can go to summit.co, you can apply. We want passionate people who want to be a part of a community. And our, our mission is to be stewards and servant leaders of a community. And so in that vein, you know, we want to be able to offer the community, you know, a plethora of options. So whether it's a big event in LA or last year we did a magical thousand person event in Tulum, or we do events at Powder Mountain almost every month that are you know, 150 people, kind of more intimate mountain getaways, mm-hmm. or whether you want to, you know, have a home and be a part of this community on Powder Mountain, and we'll have hotels, and we'll have, you know, all sorts of different ways people can participate, or you want to ski there. Our goal is to steward the community in the same way a great company would offer, you know, different products. I want to buy an iPhone, I want to buy an iPad, and I also want a MacBook Air, but this person just wants the big, you know, the big screen, and this person just wants the 6 Plus, or the oh. 7 Plus, <laughs> you know, that's, we, you know, we want to have a few core offerings that people in the community participate in. And ideally down the road, you know, we'll have, you know, even more, you know, city events and, uh, you know, retreats and getaways. Some is almost, you know, you said 10 years old. I can't believe it's 10 years old. It's crazy. You guys started so young. And I know when you guys started, it was, you know, a bunch of kind of, you know, young, mid-20-year-olds all living together, working together um, at that, you know, phase in your lives. You know, now fast forward 10 years, um, a lot of the key group, uh, you know, everyone's in different phases of life. People are married, starting families. How does that change, and how does like the summit team evolve as you know everyone else? You know, everyone's lives get more complicated, and just everyone evolves. How does how do you keep that culture together when you're going through such a big change lifestyle wise? So we've grown. We've in our multidisciplinary efforts. What we decided to do because we started as a community of basically most of the attendees in their 20s and early 30s. And yet, 10 years later, all those people now in their 20s are in their early 30s, and all those people in their mid-30s are in their mid-40s. And we said, hey, in that vein of being multidisciplinary, we made this decision a few years back. We said age is a non-factor. 
you know, we're not a millennial conference. We are a multidisciplinary conference on the cutting edge of every imaginable industry. And on that note, it doesn't, it has, we do not care how old you are. And I think that stemmed from our experience meeting people uh, who are 70 years old, uh, 60 years old, 50 years old, you know, who are just waking up every day and so excited about life. And again, in every category, I remember spending time with Chris Blackwell, um, you know, the founder of Island Records, who discovered Bob Marley, and he's in his mid-70s, and, you know, running some of the best hotels in the world in Jamaica, and just amazing. And uh, so our community is every age. I think if I had to, you know, I think the, you know, the average age is still in its, you know, mid to late 30s, but it's covering every, you know, spectrum. I can literally, just like I can go and I can see content from literally my favorite comedians to an astronaut to Jeff Bezos to Lena Dunham to Van Jones. I mean, the, all these sessions happening around me, I can turn around and meet, you know, a 21-year-old kid passionate about cryptocurrency and I can meet, you know, someone, you know, someone, uh, you know, who's a screenwriter and someone who's a musician and they can all be radically different ages um so age has become uh, a non-factor for us interestingly and kind of like operationally going from you know you and a, a 10 people living in a in a big big house together to everyone kind of starting families how has that changed the kind of leadership dynamic uh, at summit um well we we grew up and so i think um things you know things matured right and i think when when a company matures um, there are really good things that happen and there are annoying things that happen. So, you know, the really good things is that everyone has, you know, a set, you know, a sense of security and the mission, the mission's really clear. And, you know, they're not for, you know, sometimes it's rewarding to be working all the, you know, really hard for months on end, but sometimes it's really frustrating. And I think as you mature, you plan better, you're more thoughtful. Um, I think, I think those are, those are the pluses. I think, you know, the minuses are it's not this like freewheeling, you know, in its infancy enterprise. And so it just it just evolved, you know, um, you know, and um, it's been great. I mean, I still think of our business as like a friend or family owned business. You know, we're you know, we don't have the traditional big investors. It's still, you know, it's still our core group of co-founders. Um and uh, yeah, there are, there are kind of four co-founders I lived with, and a fifth co-founder, Ryan Beagleman. And it's just literally our it, it's it's our initial group, and it's still those same values. Going forward, now you've you're you've built the you have your big LA summit coming up, and you've laid the groundwork, literally <laughs> the pipes and the foundations of 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 powder of your powder community. What do you expect, and what do you look forward to in the next you know five years? Well, it feels like all the industries are, uh, around us are, are, are happening. Like, it feels like they're really starting to pop. It feels like everything's kind of within five years on the verge of these tipping points. You know, and again, that, you know, that ranges from, you know, all technology and AI to, you know, what we're seeing in, you know, just there were so many incredible musicians to cryptocurrencies. Like, it just, it's an exciting time to... Uh, be building a multidisciplinary community that incorporates all of this excitement. It's exciting to watch, you know, companies like Netflix creating revolutionizing content. Like, and again, knowing that we're a part of that. So I think for us, um, through our events and through the town we're building, just knowing how exciting 
these next five years are going to be is incredibly rewarding. I feel like when you guys first got started, that was the beginning of the rise of social media and you know everyone's on-demand Netflix and AI and messaging and all that stuff. You know, pe- a lot of human interaction is becoming less human. Um, you guys kind of tip that on your heads and create real, you know, face-to-face experiences. Um, many times, there's no cell service at at your uh, events on, and purposely. Um, how how do you kind of what's the importance of real human contact these days in a world that's getting more and more digitized? And what's your role in that? Well, I think when you don't, you know, often a cell phone you know, most of the time is the most interesting thing around, you know, uh, and so it just, you automatically gravitate to it. And so, you know, for us building events, uh, you know, it, this is like our, it's almost like our competitor, you know, you have to have more exciting people, more exciting content, better food, you know, that pulls people out of their phones. And we've, you know, we've had an unwritten rule, which is, you know, put the phone away, engage. Um, you know, it's not, it's not fun being on your phone all day. It's addictive, and um, it's part of what we feel is our mission: is you know to ke- connect people to other to other people, help them build relationships, help them learn and get inspired. I mean, it's certainly the phone has been a really critical part of what we're building. Right? It allows us to connect with the community uh, in su- in such a different way. It allows us to share you know updates, content, um, and l- allows them to know you know what's happening at Summit and who the speakers are. Um, but it's been a balance, and I'm still, you know, super passionate about, uh, you know, connecting to people, looking them in the eye, giving hugs, shaking hands. Is that creating a large appetite for these sort of conferences and, and, and communities because everyone is so pulled into their phones? Is it is it demand even higher now for some of these cool face to face events? I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I think the demand is there because people we're in this age of learning. And so whether you're learning from your phone or whether you're learning in person, I mean, nothing can replace, you know, being in the first 10 rows for your favorite band or, you know, sitting in the first, you know, 10 rows to, you know, watch your hero speak and then to meet your hero when they, you know, walk off stage and are hanging out at the event for three days. So um, for us, you know, technology has just made it easier. Um, it's created a lot more heroes. I'll tell you that. I mean, I, I'm watching you know, a couple of TED Talks a week, and I feel like I'm getting a new, you know, a new hero every week. So who are your three new heroes? You know, our heroes tend to be the people that we invite to our events. <laughs> and so we actually take a philosophy that, you know, these events are events that we want to attend, that we would literally get there 20 minutes or an hour early to get to the front row. These are people we desperately wanted to meet. Um, you know, it's the people we've invited to L.A. are the most relevant her- heroes, you know, Chairman David Archibald from Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and, you know, the founder of Black Lives Matter. We have Van Jones, um, Brian Grazier, Tim Ferriss. Um, you know, some of the people I met, Wim Hof and Jeff Bezos. Uh, I read them, you know, Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And I was like, this is revolutionary. And I, like, cleaned out my entire house. I did, like, the Super Bowl of cleaning up. And it was, like, incredible. Just wait, I mean, you, just wait till you have kids, Elliot. Just wait till you have kids. I'm going to need this, you know, Christiana Figueres who put together the Paris Climate Agreement and, you know, the producer shown to rhymes like these, you know, these folks. And so, you know, it's really fun to get to watch, you know, to watch them, to learn about them. You know, I grew up playing tennis and Andre Agassi is one of the speakers, you know, is one of the speakers this year. And Joe Montana is and um, the spiritual author, Marianne Williamson. So um, 
I mean, I, I have more heroes than ever. I feel like I'm constantly getting new heroes and, you know, getting a chance to see them speak, getting a chance to hear them play music. I, I love Hannibal Burris, the comedian, and he, he's doing comedy this year. And it's, yeah, so I'm just, I'm loving it. Like, I feel like, again, going back to it's so, you know, it's fun to work hard when you're just so passionate about what you're doing. You're getting me excited thinking about this stuff. Um, well, thank you. Elliot Biznow, the founder of Summit, whose conferences and events, I promise, are more interesting than the phone in your pocket. Elliot, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Talk to you soon. That's it for this episode of The Forbes Interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Tavis Smiley. You may know me from my PBS talk show. I'm excited to tell you that I have a brand new podcast that you can hear on podcastone.com. I'll discuss the latest in politics, sports, music, and much more with big thinkers, artists, and celebrities. I'll also share my own opinions and answer some of your questions. So join the conversation on the Tavis Smiley podcast coming to podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.